Welcome to Psychocinematic, the podcast where we analyse depictions of mental illness and disability in popular film and TV. Before we start, this podcast is not designed to be therapeutic, prescriptive, or constitute a formal diagnosis for any listener. For a longer version of this disclaimer, please check the episode notes on your podcast app. Please note that this episode contains discussions of suicide. If this episode brings up anything for you, Lifeline is available 24-7 on 13111114 and Beyond Blue on 1324636. I begin today by acknowledging the Wurundjeri Woi Wurrung people, traditional custodians of the land on which I record this podcast today, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who are listening today. Welcome, Jossie. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Jossie. Uh, Would you like to talk a little bit about yourself and your background and what you do with yourself like background stuff um I've just started studying a diploma in counseling awesome yeah I'm really really excited so I started that at TAFE so I'm going to be doing that full so I do that full-time online I'm a full-time psychologist PA and I'm building our dream home that build starts this month I've been doing IVF for three years and I'm about to have weight loss surgery. So lots going on. Look, it all happens at once. Um, I I guess look, let's start off with the with the shit people are here to hear. Um, I have bipolar disorder type two, um, and anxiety and PTSD from um IVF. Uh with yeah, I guess my bipolar I knew something was wrong like years ago that I was always different um, and then everyone put it down to mood swings from hormones, being a girl, you know, it's it's always hormones, it's hormones and then it was just like, oh, no, you're just a moody bitch. Yeah, and then it kind of progressed from there um, where I was drinking a lot but I was also suicidal a lot. So it went from I guess that's, that's just like straight into it but I was on a roller coaster but it wasn't – wasn't ter- it wasn't that obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, so the mood swings weren't huge when until I was about 22 and I left my long-term boyfriend of five years. Then I started dating um, my ex-girlfriend from high school and I don't know what triggered in that moment if it was like a I don't know who I am or that crap but my mood swings just went wild. One minute I was really great and when I was great I was fucking on top of the world and then in two weeks I'd crash again. And I would say to my friends, like, there seems to be, like, a rhythm with this. Like, you know, it, it seems to be like a wave. And she was saying, oh, it's probably just, you know, because you're drinking or I don't know. It was all these reasons, all these other reasons of why. But, um, yes, because I have bipolar. And what was that like, That the diagnosis process for you? How how was that for you? The diagnosis. Um, so I started seeing a doctor probably when I was 22, 23, saying that something was wrong. Probably, yeah, 22, saying that um, going to the doctor asking for help and they kept diagnosing me with depression. And I, I just kept 
saying like I don't have depression, but they just kept chucking these pills at me over and over and over. And were they just like different types of antidepressants? Yeah. And because I've got bipolar, the antidepressants triggered my mood swings further. Um, So they, that's when I turned suicidal from having these um, antidepressants. So, which I didn't realize at the time is that's why it was happening. But um, yeah, and that went on for years and just no one would take me seriously because I was well-dressed, well-spoken, you know, like, I don't know what they were expecting me to look like, but not who I am. It wasn't that. It was, I needed to go in looking disheveled to be Mm. taken seriously as something's wrong that's such a common story that I've heard and it's it feels like the system that we're in it's like you really have to be at crisis point in order for anyone to actually go okay maybe something's going on here yeah like I needed to be at the reception like just losing my shit or something like it just nothing no one would take me seriously as to anything else but having depression so it sounds like it was a pretty difficult process to actually get that final diagnosis yes I've I've been like through that stage I went for years until I think I was 27 so about five years of going Mm. to doctors continuously saying something is wrong and then when I started I thought well fuck no one's listening to me no one thinks I know anything everyone thinks I'm too well dressed and too well educated which I'm not to be taken seriously that it's not depression. So why don't I just use that in my favour and actually become educated and then I can take myself fully armed and go, look, these are the the, the symptoms, I guess, that I have. I've been tracking my moods. This is what I think it is. This is why I think I have bipolar and I need you to fucking listen to me because whatever you've given me, this concoction of fucking pills... Like I'm overdosing on them. Like this mm. is what you've done. You've made me suicidal. Like you've done that because you weren't listening to me. And then mm. I got a psychiatrist um, and she looks just like a Simpsons character. It was just <laughs> wild. Like I couldn't believe I, it was really hard to take her seriously. And, yeah, within 10 minutes she was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you have bipolar. And I text what bipolar is to a stack of my friends and I said do you think this sounds like me and every single one was like oh holy shit did you write that about yourself oh wow that's very validating (laughs) yeah exactly so on one hand when you get the diagnosis you're like oh fuck like that's quite scary like something else is wrong with me and it's a complex mental illness it's not Mm. something that's so easily fixed or there's no band-aid solution for bipolar there's no cure yeah. yeah. Um, and it's not common and it's so fucking, like, it's just so hard to explain to people. But on the other hand, I was like, I belong somewhere. I have a yeah. community now of people that understand me if I join Facebook groups and or mm. Instagram pages and stuff. So that, yeah, it was really reassuring that one, I wasn't, it wasn't in my head. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't making shit up. And I, and the, the other biggest thing for me was I'm not a bitch. I'm not a bad person. Yeah. That was the yeah. biggest thing for me was I'm not a bad person because I beated myself up for so long because I would be, because of the agitation that I would feel. Like my mm. ex-girlfriend would wear, this is the stupidest thing ever, but she'd wear shapewear that wasn't even shapewear. 
Anyways, she would wear it every day to work. And I, I just remember getting so agitated one day. I was like, they don't even fucking work. Like, it's just high underwear. Stop calling it shapewear. Which is the most irrational thing to get angry about. But I was that agitated. And I just thought yeah. I'm just the worst person. Just why would that make me so angry? But it's just these yeah. wild mood swings. So it sounds like you really had to, like, learn for yourself and advocate for yourself to get the diagnosis and to be able to get put a name to what was going on for you and then get the support that you actually need that's actually going to help you. And it's unfortunate not everyone can already sort of be on the ball about it and go, oh, yeah, I think this is what it is. I'm going to take this information to my doctor or whatever. So good on you for having to go through all of that to to get to that. Yeah, I've got really, like, I'm very fortunate in that I could afford to ask for help. Um, yeah. I had the access to ask for help, but I also had, like, the support of my parents really backing me when I was saying to them, like, something's wrong, They, I could call them at any time and get that support or just that confidence to back myself mm. when talking to someone, which honestly had made the world of difference. So I do not understand how anyone can back themselves or advocate for themselves for any anything like that without some support behind them because it is scary. You're going against yeah. these people with massive degrees and they're like, no, you're wrong, you're wrong, and you're just this little fucking number. And I'm always assuming that it's a little bit of, <laughs> I don't know, I think it sort of comes back a little bit to in history of like the hysterical woman as well. I feel like women aren't taken seriously ever like you know look at things like endometriosis and 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 all that sort of stuff pmdd it's such a common theme where it's just no you're just a woman you just you know you just need to calm down and get on with it and that's right like i just thought i was moody yeah i thought i was a moody fucking woman and the the hate i had on myself for being that downer was just awful yeah it was really crushing my self-esteem when i thought Everyone hates me. I'm an awful person. Like, why? I'm. I. Why would I say that? Why would I feel like that? Mm. And now you've kind of got a reason for that. Yeah. The reason why I brought you on the podcast today, as well, is because you were one of my first listeners, to be honest. <laughs> and you recommended to me a movie um, way back, like last year, and it was Touch with Fire. And I finally got the chance to watch it because it was on SBS On Demand for a very, very short period of time and thought how better to cover it than with with yourself. So thank you so much for offering to do that with me. Thanks for having me. This is super special. So how did you come across this movie? I think it was my parents. Oh, cool. So my dad um, is in media and he absolutely loves movies. Like, he's a film critic as well. Um, oh, wow. Awesome. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he sent it to me saying, I can't even remember now because it was years ago. Um, and then they bought me the DVD, but I don't have a DVD player. Who um, does these days, though? Fuck, not me. Um, but, yeah, and then I watched it and I was like, holy shit, this is um, this is like nothing I have seen before. I felt the same way when I watched it. I was like, yeah, I can't think of a movie that's as similar as this one. Yeah, and it's so confronting, but they do it in such a 
like and I don't know it just it took my breath away the way that they did it though it was so beautiful that it still kept you really like enthralled in it like you wanted to know what was happening next but it wasn't too confronting that you're like oh fuck turn that off like it wasn't yeah and there is that fine line of like oh this is a bit much but it was just yeah. brilliant it was a real balance I think it was really well made and I'll just say now it came out in 2015 and it was directed and written by Paul Dalio I think that's how you say his name <laughs> um who knows and it was co-produced by his wife Christina Nikolova which I love, love a husband-wife team. <laughs> Obviously, it didn't wasn't a blockbuster, it wasn't a Hollywood film. So honestly, I didn't even know about it until you told me about it. And I just happened to see that it was on SBS and I was like, ooh. So, <laughs> like, yeah. how did they afford Katie home? Well, I think I was just thinking that because, you know, one thing I, I would, would have liked is more like actual actors with bipolar in it. But then you got Katie Holmes get Katie Holmes in there to, you know, get some star power. So, yeah. Shall I go through the plot so we can get stuck into the nitty gritty? So, Touch With Fire, we meet Carla and Marco, who are both experiencing a manic stage of bipolar disorder. Marco's dad discovers him living in squalor with piles of books and papers everywhere, talking about how he's quit his job because he's through with the system and he can live off McDonald's packet sources. He doesn't need electricity or sleep anymore and he tells his dad he isn't taking medication as they constrict his emotions. He's a beat poet who calls himself Luna. It seems that his mother also had mental illness and left the family. Marco escapes his dad but gets picked up by the cops while on a roof staring at the moon and is taken to the institution that we see in the film. We then meet Carla, who's riding in the middle of the night and appears to be getting more and more distressed. She's staring at the light and seems to be fixated on the sun. She goes to her parents' place at around one in the morning and talks with her mum, desperate to find out what she was like before graduation when she got sick and what triggered it. Unsatisfied, she accuses her mum of lying. She tells her mum she doesn't feel like herself anymore, who tries to convince her to stay at theirs and then they'll get her file from the institution and figure it all out. Carla leaves, goes straight to the hospital to try and get her file. The psychiatrist agrees to give it to her, but then she is convinced to stay there so she can keep looking at her file. So Carla and Marco both appear to have inadvertently checked themselves into the psych ward. In group therapy, they don't like each other and have a disagreement. Their big difference seems to be that Carla wants to be able to manage her illness, whereas Marco wants to stay in the manic state and channel it into his life and creativity. Then at night, they start meeting up together at around 3am and get to know each other more and more, discovering they both channel their manic periods into art, both as poets. She sees herself as the sun, he sees himself as the moon, both drawn in by light. He's quite obsessed with the book Touch With Fire, which talks about all the famous geniuses with bipolar and how they harness their bipolar in creative ways. They fall in love. They both go off their medication and start to believe they're an alien and arrange to go to their home planet. After attempting to do this by drugging the guard and then escaping, they are separated and put into isolation and are then discouraged from being together. They both go into a depression and are sent home, and for the six months they stay at their parents. They both attempt suicide around the same time, well, I assume so, that's what it looked like in the movie, saying to each other, meet me on the other side. Later, while stable, they try and find each other by sending each other clues in the institution. They find each other at Van Gogh's Starry Night at the Mona and start a relationship. 
They try to be intimate, but Marco struggles due to the side effects of his medications. They throw their meds away in a fountain and decide to be together, which helps their sex life, but of course they stop engaging in the rest of the world. Their parents are very wary of their courtship and don't think it's healthy and try to arrange doctors to take them back to the institution. They run away, find out that Carla is pregnant, and so steal Carla's mum's car and go to the forest where they believe they can raise their child. They drive into a river and are then rescued and put back in the ward, but are released when it's discovered that Carla is pregnant. They agree to go back on medication and raise the child together in the world. They start setting up an apartment and he goes back to work, but he can't maintain it and starts to go off his medication. And Carla can see he's starting to get into a manic phase again. They meet the author of Touch With Fire and talk about their worries, but she's very pro-medication and she says you can keep your gift while being on meds. This gives Carla hope, but Marco says this is weak, that she's weak, and they have a fight and Marco pushes her. Carla goes and gets an abortion. And you know this because you see that she's been drinking. He also finds out and pulls a manipulative, let's have a baby shower and buys her the little prince, which is like such a sad scene. She admits what happened. She didn't want the child to be raised by their illness and they break up. Later, she calls him. And then a year later, it's discovered that they wrote a book together. She's in a new relationship and they're both stable. They do a reading at the bookshop, which goes well. Their book is called Eclipse, Sun and Moon Together. Oh my God. And that's the plot. And just for those listeners who hadn't already heard from our last episode, I'll just explain the difference between bipolar 1, 2 and cyclothymic disorder. Bipolar 1 disorder is a manic depressive disorder that can exist both with and without psychotic episodes. Bipolar 2 disorder consists of depressive and manic episodes which alternate and are typically less severe and do not markedly inhibit function. Cyclothymic disorder is a cyclic disorder that causes brief episodes of hypomania and depression. And to be considered mania... The elevated, expansive, or irritable mood must last for at least one week and be present most of the day, nearly every day. Whereas hypomania, which is more common with bipolar 2 disorder, the mood must last at least four consecutive days and be present most of the day, almost every day. So that's the kind of difference between mania and hypomania. Mania is characterized by inflated self-esteem or grandiosity, decreased need for sleep, increased talkativeness, racing thoughts, being distracted easily, an increase in goal-directed activity or psychomotor agitation, and engaging in activities that could have painful consequences. And then, of course, the depressive side of bipolar disorder is characterized by a major depressive episode. We've already discussed depression quite a bit on the podcast, but obviously depressed mood most of the day is a characteristic, loss of interest or pleasure significant weight loss or gain, fatigue or loss of energy, feelings of worthlessness or guilt, diminished ability to think or concentrate, and recurrent thoughts of death, suicidal ideation, or a suicide attempt. Look, there's just so much about, like, the movie that, I don't know, like, I really resonate with that Marco's, like, living in squalor, like, as, as a hoarder, and he's got all this shit everywhere, I know that when I was in New Farm, when I was living there single, and that's when the bipolar, um, I was probably in my fourth year of having bipolar without knowing it, um, well, technically. Um, I didn't even have sheets on my bed. I slept amongst clothes that would have been so dirty. I My washing machine didn't work. I didn't care. I would buy new clothes or wear dirty clothes. Like this, it looks dramatic. But it's, it's real. Um, mm, I lived mm. off Maccas for a year 
Like he lives off McDonald's packet sauce. That's because he's not working. He can't afford food. But and also, like he just doesn't need. He doesn't feel the need to eat, which was the yeah. same as myself. I did, I wasn't hungry. I wasn't tired, um, and I just lived in this absolute squalor of a mess. Mm. Um, I didn't even have. I owned one towel. Like everything about it. I'm like, yes, yes. Like this is actually really showing the really ugly side of this disease. Like it's yeah. it's really showing these things that are fucking real life. And there's not many films that really do that in a way that's not like overly dramatic and like for shock value. Like we just did Silver Linings Playbook and it's like not even, it's such a dumbed down Hollywood version of it. Like you can't imagine them actually showing this sort of stuff. Like there's the aggression side in that movie. Um which is a little less so in this one, but that that sort of thing, like what you're describing, it's like, yeah, there's not many movies that do that. I really wanted to love that movie, The Silver Linings, but I just, none of it, none of it I connected with. And I know that mm. everyone's obviously so different in, in how they feel, but none of it. Yeah, and a lot of people really like it and connected with it, but it's validating to hear that you didn't connect with it because I was like, I don't know if I had bipolar that I would like this movie very much. So, <laughs> Yeah, it, it it was awful. I think are they connecting with the movie or are they connecting with the main actor? Yeah, good point. <laughs> are you just romanticising what has happened because he's fucking hot? That's a fair call. And that's another good thing in this movie, I think, like, like Cody Holmes is very good looking and I think Luke Kirby's also very good looking, but they're not dressed. They don't really wear makeup, you know, they're not made to look really sexy. They, they look pretty, you know, rough around the edges, which is kind of nice as well. Yeah, I love that. I love that they haven't tried to make it fancy. It's just really yeah. raw. Having said that, I really love the the Starry Night scenes how they made it look like they're in this magical universe. I saw that. That looks amazing. Jossie's just showing her, yeah, stubby cooler that has Starry Night on it. It's gorgeous. And the tattoo. Oh, you've got a tattoo of it as well. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, that scenery um, of the shot where they're in the Mona Museum yeah. and then they've got that Starry Night. It's just beautiful. Lived experience. I might talk about the filmmaker for a little bit. So Paul Dalio was the writer and director um, and he's someone who has bipolar disorder and so he's been stable. He reckons with with treatment he's been stable for several years um, but he struggled with the condition when he went through film school in New York and once he graduated he wanted to film a story. So he and his wife, who's also a filmmaker, started sort of throwing ideas back and forth about two people with mental illness who fell in love which um, made him sort of explore what it's like to be bipolar and that it's not all bad. And he looks at like a long list of writers, painters and composers who had bipolar but still created amazing things, despite or possibly because of bipolar disorder. So he wanted to sort of show that it brings out a lot of beauty and positive things, but it also brings out a lot of the horror as well. Um, So, yeah, he had the focus on bipolar in this film and I think that's really clear in it as well um like that's what he set out to do um and compared to (laughs) silver linings playbook because my brain's still in there 
it's like such a different you can you can see the difference it's true really. like, like silver linings playbook is utter fucking shit if you haven't seen it <laughs> don't don't give them any more fucking money it's not even like so bad it's good it's just so bad as we sort of discuss in that episode like maybe it did some good things but like it's done with the good things it's done and there's really no like we I think we need to focus more on the films that are actually you know showing it in a much better way so also I've sort of gone through the actors in it and whether they have lived experience and you'll not be surprised to find that neither of them have lived experience with bipolar shocked (laughs) so yeah it would have been nice if you had people with bipolar in the role and I'm sure it wouldn't have been that hard to find but I guess it's the soul so much stigma attached to mental illness so it's not like actors that are like hey I've got this and I've got that it's still very much a taboo subject so that's fair um but it's interesting Katie Holmes said she didn't know anything about bipolar before agreeing to play the part and when keep in mind too, because she was married to Tom Cruise for so many years and she had to like be a Scientologist and they don't believe in like psychiatry. So maybe she wasn't even allowed to even think about mental illness when she was with no, him. It would have been a complete like it it wouldn't have it would have been a non topic in their house. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense that she's not really heard of bipolar. Um and at least, you know, even though she came from that background, at least now she does know what bipolar is about and she's a little bit more interested in mental illness as a whole because it did make her do lots of research and she read touch with fire as did luke kirby but yeah i couldn't find anything else about mental illness for her at all probably for that reason again but i'm glad she divorced tom cruise (laughs) she can (laughs) if she has mental illness she's allowed to talk about it that that's she did sound good for her mental health then when she divorced him (sighs) um luke kirby also does not have anything that I came up with or that I could find. But um, he did say that he thought that mental illness has a dodgy history of cinematic portrayals and he was keen to make this movie to change that. Um, and it sounded like both he and Katie were, like, very trusting of Paul Dalio, the director, when doing this and, like, going with what he said um, and counting on him to to make it all come together, which obviously worked really well, I think. And he has played characters with bipolar before in um, in his in plays that he's done. So a little bit more aware than Katie Holmes, which is nice. That's a bit of a coincidence, isn't it, that he's played someone with, like, roles with bipolar before? Yeah. What's the um, that? I don't know, and I don't know how he came across the film, whether he might have, he might have, um, audition thinking, hey, I, I can play this role. So that's all I know. I, like, <laughs> totally. I really liked Luke Kirby in Me the too. Role. Really. Like when you would see him have these, um, like when he's in his apartment and he's rifling through everything and talking to his dad, mm. like you see in his eyes, like mm. you just everything about he's just so unwell. Yeah. But it's not, it really doesn't look fake. Like he does yeah. so well that and he really looks quite disheveled. His eyes look really like bags under his eyes. Yeah, the bags um, under his eyes, like you can just see he's just not there. Like mm. it's just it's incredible. He's really good. Yeah, he should be in more things. I've I'd never come across I hadn't come across him before. Have you seen anything else he's in? No, I I googled the the guy because I was like, who the fuck is this? And I have no idea what 
Like these are movies, no idea. Um, Christine Lardy, who played Carla's mum, I've seen her in like Chicago Hope from back in the day, which was one of those um, hospital dramas. Like an ER? Yeah, like ER. I think it was like the other ER show. (laughs) And she actually had a sister who struggled with severe bipolar disorder who unfortunately took her own life. So she definitely has had that experience of what it's yeah yeah what it's like to support someone with bipolar. Um, so she took that into the role, which would have been very difficult for her. Yeah, I would say. that's what I'm just thinking. That is incredible. Yeah, how triggering that would have been playing the loved one again to someone with bipolar. I think it's a mark of a really good actress too to be able to do that absolutely I thought she was really good as well yeah she was brilliant she was really good and I'll just touch on Kay Redfield Jamison who appeared in the film who is the author of the book Touch with Fire so she she turns up in the scene where they meet with her and talk about her book and what they you know they want to get as much out of life and don't want to be on the medication and she sort of convinces them that you can get that from life as well as me on the medication. And, yeah, I just read a little bit about her. Had you come across her before or her books at all? No, I don't. I used to read a little bit, but I don't read because I just can't sit still. <laughs> yeah, so she's written so many books. She's the Dalio, I don't know if that's related to Paul Dalio, but the professor in mood disorders and psychiatry at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. And she's written her book, Manic Depressive Illness, was first published in 1990. And it's like a classic textbook on bipolar disorder. But it sounds like she only got diagnosed with bipolar um, after that when like she was really interested in mood disorders when she studied. Um, And about three months into her first job as a professor in UCLA, that's when she decided she realized that she was bipolar and she, yeah, was put on lithium, which helped control her moods. She wasn't keen on it at first because it impaired her motor skills but then she decided to continue taking it after a um, period of depression yeah and she's written heaps of books um an unquiet mind which talks about her experience with mania and depression um night falls fast understanding suicide um which would be a really interesting read like to read that yeah i think people should read (laughs) that book the government maybe and Nothing was the same, which was a memoir with her uh, about her and her husband's relationship. And she's like very influential and very smart. And it's amazing that she was in the film, I, I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. I've just seen here as well that um, she's also attempted suicide by overdosing on lithium, mm. um, which I have done, I think, oh, probably five, six times. Oh, wow. I've overdosed on um, lithium. So it's, yeah, it's just so interesting, like, reading someone else doing it. Yeah. It's just like, wow, I did that. Like, okay, cool. I, I don't know, yeah. And I guess I wonder how common that is too, given it's not someone people talk about that often and that those medications can be quite potent as well and there is the danger of doing something yeah. Along those lines, yeah. And then, yeah, the Seroquel and the antidepressants, like all of them I've overdosed on. So, yeah, I just thought that was really interesting that she has as well. That's all that I looked up. Did you find it anything else? It's just such a good film. Like, 
the chemistry that these two characters have, the like the genuine love they have for each other. Yeah, they're really connected really well. So well. And I know that I don't have children, um, but I know that everyone says, you know, you can't describe the love you have for a child. The only thing I could compare it to is when you're so manic and you're manic for an extended period of time and you're dating someone that you love, like, I know my um, last relationship, well, not last one, but years ago anyway, it was super toxic. But because I was so manic, those emotions were felt so much deeper. Mm. The Mm. love was so much deeper, but the hate was so much deeper. Like, Yeah. And you can see it with these two as well, as much as they want to be together and then they are, but that when you, yeah, like when they're going through those bad times together, it is just so... Full on. So every everything that the love is so extreme, but then anything that doesn't work out is also it's similarly so extreme. extreme. It is so yeah. extreme. And I know that I've been like a bit sheltered in what people might tell me sometimes. Like if it's bad news about someone, they might make sure that they're with me when they tell me because they know that, oh, I've been called sensitive and stuff. But it's just like I have a literal fucking mood disorder. So if I mm. take it a little bit more than someone else does, sorry it's, that my brain's not configured the same as yours. Like, It's kind of the definition of it. Yes. <laughs> your moods are a little bit, felt a little bit stronger than everybody else's. So yeah. that makes so, sense. Like even when she's writing, like when um, Carla was writing in her book, uh, her poem, and you can just see how manic she's writing. Like, mm. I she's really like, pressed onto the page. Yeah, and like, and then, then she just this like spiral. She just loses it, and you can feel it. Like, yeah. for myself, I can just feel her just losing it and just being so passionate that she's got to express it somehow. Um, yeah. And I know writing my notes, I'm normally a really neat writer, but I know even just myself, I was just like scribbling writing because I was That looks so, so fucking neat to me, Josie. <laughs> <laughs> no, fuck off. Look at it. It's like a fucking mess. I, I feel like I was there with her and I was just like, even when I was scribbling stuff out, when I was like, oh, no, that's fucked up. And then I'll just be... And then I'd be so you're kind of feeling her emotions as you're yeah, you're and I was taking it, about it in, like I was a mm. sponge to it. It was incredible. I want to talk about like the accuracy of the depiction, and I've got you know the DSM and all of that sort of stuff. But I want to know what you thought about. I think we already kind of know that you, you liked the depiction, but what in what in the performances really um, showed that it was a pretty accurate depiction of bipolar for you? The definitely the passion, the passion on both sides of yeah, and the speed in which they work. Like Katie just opening her mum's door and just being like, "Fum in," and she yeah. wants to talk about this, and she needs to talk about it right now. Yeah, and there is no later in her head; it is now. And she has yeah. to do it. And she cannot understand why someone else would say, it's 1am, like, what are you doing? To her, yeah. I don't care what fucking time it is, I'm awake and I need to do this now. Like, that's so, so spot on. Is that kind of what happens in a manic episode for you, that need for it to be now? Or is that sort of every now and then, like, not just no, manic? it's definitely the manic episode. So I'll get something in my head, um... 
oh god it could be anything but I'll have to do it there and then and I know so many times my partner will be like oh just just wait wait till we're out of the car like I might be in the passenger seat and I'll say I need to call blah 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 and he'll say just wait I'm like no no I need to do it now I need to do it now but it's I I I cannot wait it's not that I won't or that I'm super impatient. It's just, I don't know, my my brain is like, no. It's just not going to happen. Um, and then, yeah, the the not sleeping, like, I, I went days without sleep. Like, nothing oh, at all. I was living in a new farm off Brunswick Street, so I would just run to the Story Bridge and just sit there because I had to let off some energy. But yeah. So unfit. Um, and it could be 3 a.m. and I could sit there for an hour, but... To me, I was kind of sitting there with the spirits that were at the Story Bridge and that was my way of, like, calming myself to everyone else who had lost their life to bipolar or depression or schizophrenia, whatever it may be, but I felt their presence. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, so that was something that I did when I was manic is just couldn't sleep, so I would go for a run up to the Story Bridge, come back, go for a run again somewhere else. Not far because unfit, but just... Just no need for sleep at all, but so energetic. I feel like in the film too, you could see that energy too for the both of them. Like it's not just you can't sleep, it's just that you can do all these things without sleep as well. Like the energy doesn't stop. It just makes you feel like a superhero. Like I, because I drank so much to cover um, the bipolar moods that I was having, I know that years ago I fell down at, at the beach um, in the, the nightclub in the valley. And I oh, fell yeah. down the entire staircase, which is Oh, man, huge. that's a tall staircase. Yeah, it's massive. And I fell down the entire thing in heels and I got straight back up and I was fine because nothing could phase me. Yeah. It is pretty incredible what what you can achieve. Yeah. But not necessarily for the better. No, no. Oh, fuck. That was awful. But, yeah, it's just it's crazy what you can do if you just – I don't know if you think you can because I just got up and I was like, I'm fine, and I just wanted to keep partying. And did you later on find out that, oh, I actually broken my ankle or anything like that? I didn't break anything, nothing. Amazing. I, wasn't, I had bruises, wasn't even sore. Yeah. And it's just you can do anything. Like him sitting on the roof, you know, going to that height with no concern at all, like getting arrested. Yeah, and even when the police were there, he was just like, yep. No, this is cool. Yeah. So he just, yeah, I completely understand everything that they're saying. Like, I was curious what you thought because um, the psychiatrist was sort of saying that they were making themselves manic, like they were they were upping their mania together. What did you think about that? Is that I honestly think it would be accurate if I know for myself if I was dating someone with bipolar as well even even just me with my friends like because I'm so extroverted my mood goes up so quickly as soon as I'm with people my Mm. speed is like my um I talk a lot quicker a lot louder um because that's energizing me I can only imagine not that I hope I ever meet anyone else with bipolar and be that close but it would be this electricity between two people and you would just be shooting off between each other because you you just take on other people's energies. So 100%. You absorb that, yeah. that energy and, and that emotion. They're in the room. down. You take that on. Like you, mm. because you feel everything so much more than 
the average person, you know, you really do absorb that. So a hundred percent. It's um it was pretty magnetic watching yeah them connect so much and and like she was kind of sus about the like I think he says you know I'm I'm actually from the moon I'm an alien from the moon and she at first was like yeah no and then suddenly like yeah we're both aliens and they're waiting to to go home like the way it goes from yeah no to immediate like very quickly into his sort of almost delusion or hallucination was pretty incredible so that that sort of resonated yeah and like I can see why people think that bipolar is happy or sad because yeah you do just quickly like from you could just be feeling super average and then something will just happen and you can and it can trigger it off so for her she was obviously thinking no you know that's not logical you're not from the moon but then the more she felt that trust in him that she started to believe what he was saying and then mm. the more she thought about it, she's like, of course you're from the moon. You wouldn't lie to me. You're from the moon. Let's go to the moon. Like, yeah, that's where her head was going. It just makes complete sense. And I guess that's an example of sort of the, the racing... Racing um, thoughts. Racing thoughts and, and ideas that they were both sort of having. And it's just so trusting. Like when I first met Chris, he told me that... <laughs> seagulls are baby pelicans and I was like oh my god like I had no idea (laughs) but you you build that trust with someone and I don't know if it's like a um I don't know if it's a it's a survival mode thing where you build trust in someone else that's so stable when you aren't but that trust is so strong that I believe that for years for years I thought seagulls are baby pelicans if if I didn't know better, I would have believed you right now because I've never thought about it. But I guess it makes sense too in in being in that state. You know, if you've it, it's it's your reality and your truth, and if th- if that's what the person you're really trusting is saying, and that's enhanced as well, then it's like no one can change my view. That's the truth. Yeah, it's scary though because I think so many people with bipolar would be quite vulnerable for DV relationships because that yeah. trust is so strong. And I th- I feel like you kind of see that towards when when he's going into that manic state and she's she's taking her meds and she's sort of stable um, and is it then he pushes her and, like, she's like, nah, getting the abortion, we're done, yeah. Whereas if she was also in that manic state, maybe that's not the decision she might have made. I yeah, I I don't think she would have made that same decision if she was in a manic state too. Yeah, because you can't. There is no rational thinking. Yeah, yeah, it's completely that's, out the window. That's a really good point. It would be you know hard to not be vulnerable in that state. Oh, extremely. Be. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I know when I um, again like years ago. I made my ex-partner promise that she wouldn't tell anyone that I was this sick or suicidal and just keep it between us. And I thought and she thought she was doing the right thing. So we moved to the Gold Coast to be further away from people so they wouldn't see how unwell I was. And I had that trust in her that she was doing the right thing for us and she thought she was, um, but it absolutely wasn't the right thing. But it's that it's that deep connection with someone of going, okay, well, Whatever they say is the right thing. I'm going to do that now. Put all my trust in you. Yeah. Because you're my rock. Yeah, yep. you become so dependent on that person when you're that ill. So I can see how they're going back and forth needing each other 
and the parents yeah. are like, you know, you need to separate, but they can't. It's not that they yeah. won't. They just cannot. It's very that codependent sort of relationship. They need each other. Yeah. Which would be so hard to navigate, which I like about how the, at the end of the film she's in a relationship. So it's I feel like the message in the film isn't oh, bipolar people, you know, can't be in relationships because of these reasons because, you know, they yeah, they obviously can, but it's it's something you really have to manage, obviously. Yeah, and I think... Like their depiction of, um, you know, being not wanting to be on medication as well is quite accurate. I know that when yeah. I started, I had Seroquel, I had lithium, lithium I had to do bl- uh, monthly blood tests for, and that was frustrating, oh, really? time-consuming. See, no one says, no one tells you about that side of it. I wasn't allowed to take um, Nurofen um, oh. when I was on lithium because of my kidneys. Yeah, so there was all these rules about lithium and I just I got frustrated with that um, and it just it wasn't working. And then I, I tried Seracor, but that made me a zombie. Mm. I couldn't mm-hmm. feel anything. I went from feeling everything, like I was at Disneyland, and then I went to just I couldn't do anything but slept. So that's not really functional in the end? It's yeah. not, yeah. And so for them to not want to be on the medication so they can have those feelings and the emotions, I, I totally get it because it took mm. me years and a seesaw of, okay, this is working, it's been about eight months, it's not working anymore, I need to try something else. Mm. And it is that constant seesaw with bipolar to get it right. To so, get the balance and right. It's, and it's frustrating and it feels super degrading to yourself when you're just like, for fuck's sake, I just want to feel like me again. So when yeah. you're saying that, that they don't know who they are or they don't know how they're feeling, I, I totally resonate with that. I really like the line when Katie comes to her mum and says, I don't know who I am. Oh, like, that made me just, I burst. When I've been in an, ang- like I'm quite an anxious person, I've got generalised anxiety disorder with you know some OCD traits. You know, when I've been in that really peak panic attack mode, that's how I feel like completely disconnected from myself I don't know who I am so that resonated with me in that context but it's also yeah it's sort of she's got a bit more of that insight into knowing I'm in this manic state because I'm kind of losing touch with who I am but also he's trying to figure out who he is almost without the mania and struggling to let go of that part of it as well so it's yeah it's such a big impact on who you see yourself as a person it seems Oh, it's huge. Like I know I'm really big on when there's a situation like an argument or a disagreement or whatever it may be that I I pride myself on thinking that I can remove myself from the situation and kind of see as a third person. But I also compare that to when you've got bipolar, it's kind of like you're watching on. So you're watching yeah. on this other personality, do all this shit, do all this destructive crap. And then you're out of that mania or you're out of that depression and you're just like, the fuck have I done? But you can't stop it. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like a a rolling snowball. Yeah. Yeah. It's like getting Indiana Jones. Like, <laughs> like it's just, yeah, but you don't know who you are. And another huge thing for me um, having bipolar is a lot of the times where I cry over something or uh, something frustrates me, I just think, is that me or is that bipolar? Mm. Can that sometimes be invalidating as well? Like have you ever like experienced a, a reaction from something and had someone else say, oh, 
you know, I'll just ignore that because that's just your bipolar. But you you are feeling those feelings and they're valid. But it is really hard. Like I don't know a single person who doesn't know I have bipolar. But even so, anything, um, just the most mundane thing can make me really upset. And I do think like, yeah, is it is this valid? Is my is my emotion right now valid? And then I in my head I think, well, put it on a scale of would, I don't know, someone down the street have the same emotion, have the same reaction? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, no, they wouldn't. But then I have to come back and go, well, that's okay. You're in danger of sort of shaming yourself at the same time for having the reaction. I shame myself every time I cry or because I can't do confrontation. So anytime anyone has this confrontation with me, I cry. And it's not because I, I'm an idiot and I can't speak back. It's because I don't know what to say. And then I'm in my head and then it's just... yeah. It's just plus you're just feeling it a lot more than yeah average Joe down the street. What did you think about the depressive period in the film? How that was depicted? Yeah, beautifully and accurate. Um, yeah, it's hard. Like I know for myself, I was self-destructive. I was suicidal. I attempted suicide many, many times. I used to like run towards the brick wall in the like a house was a brick house. And I would run up to it, smack my head against the brick wall until I was just bleeding over oh, and wow. over. And I would just be screaming, let me die. Just let me oh, die. Fuck. So I, I get where there's this desperation that they cannot do it anymore and it's confusing and it's tiring because it's, it is it's fucking exhausting because you're, you're just whoop, 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 like constantly. Mm. So that depressive stage out of you yeah and then to be in hospital as well like I just to feel like an outsider in your own body and to not Mm. know what's going to happen next you've really got to let sort of be at the mercy of the hospital as well yeah yeah Mm. like it's not your home it's not your sanctuary it's not your comfort zone to let yourself go you're in you know a room full of strangers um and you've been so vulnerable in front of them so oh it's just Everything about this movie really hits hard. Like, it's just beautiful, but it's so accurate. It's so well presented of how Mm. bipolar is. And it's not a really, it's not a simple mental illness or Mm, one size fits all kind of thing. Like, it is just so, so hard. Did you think that the um, institution was from your experience, an accurate depiction? And I know it's in America, so we have to, you know, take that with the that caveat as well. I didn't think America had a great um, health system. I thought that too because I thought the institution looked pretty schmick, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, and he, like Marco wouldn't have been able to afford that. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I thought too. And I thought it was really well resourced, like the room that they go in with all the sensory stuff and the art. I just thought, oh, this is a very... I mean, yeah, it's signed me up. Well looked after. Yeah. I'll go I'll just, it. Yeah. Have you had experiences with institutions and or mental, you know, wards of hospitals in the same sort of manner? I've been to Belmont Private Hospital only to visit a friend a couple of times. Um, mm. She was in the postnatal depression ward, but mm-hmm. from what she said when I would sit and talk to her, it was nothing 
like there's the supports there sure but it's very generalized it's nothing like you had seen this this film um Mm. so that I know that like I should have been hospitalized many many times but I wasn't um so I, I yeah I can't really compare with that but I that I think of all the things that would have been the glamorized part yeah I would agree I've only ever been in New Farm Clinic also to visit a friend and that's a private hospital. I think Belmont's the same, isn't it? It's private. And yeah, same. I didn't get the same sense of the lushness really. And just the, yeah, yeah, it just had a different vibe from what we are presented in the in the movie. Yeah, and I think but, the um, psychiatrist as well, she seems really like stonewalled. She doesn't seem to actually mm. care. And I feel, does she even believe or does she feel that they're just making shit up? Like, because she's very dismissive of them. Straight she the is. Yeah. I kind of got the sense that she, she's she been through this a million trillion times and she's seen it all before and she knows exactly what to say. Like, she kind of knew what to say to get them to stay. And that worked. Obviously, it worked. But it wasn't done with a lot of compassion, I thought. My only thoughts on that are you really – You've got to be quite, um, I guess, considerate with this because people with bipolar are watching this. So with everything else so accurate, you really want to make that accurate. Like this is Mm. the person that you're going to go to for help. You want them to be seen as wanting to help you. Yeah. Oh, fuck off. Like you're... You know, not this again. Yeah, it's like, oh, you're ruining my night. (laughs) Yeah, it's a regular night of you in for me. But they, yeah, because she does seem so dismissive and, like, just... She was probably my least favourite part for that reason as well. And maybe that was Paul Dalio's experience as well. It would have to come from lived experience, I think. And I think it's a grudge that he's got, perhaps, Mm. with someone Mm -hmm. that he used to see. Because otherwise you would have made that character quite compassionate. Yeah, you'd hope so. because, Because you're hoping, to me, at the end, they're they're managing their symptoms a little better. So you'd, you'd want to maybe encourage your audience to go, hey, you know, psychiatrists aren't all quacks and they're, they're not all like They're not scary. Like over I you. can go see them. They're approachable. Having said that, though, I like the group therapist in the group therapy scene. I think he I think he did an okay job. What, what were your, Have you ever been in group therapy? Can you com- compare with your own experiences? I have group therapy and I can't even remember what the group therapist was like so that's how memorable it was for me (laughs) it wasn't a very long scene but um like it's when Carla and Marco meet each other so they're having a little bit of a fight across the room my first thought was like he's actually doing some therapeutic work whereas any group therapy um scene I've seen in movies they're always just like how are you going like they're not never really doing anything therapeutic um but he seemed to be like asking a little bit and asking kind of those leading therapy questions which I've definitely asked so I thought that was a pretty good (laughs) depiction and he was very like calm and like validating of people's feelings but also like okay you need to calm down (laughs) sort of yeah I liked his approach but that's coming from my perspective no but that's really interesting because you are the psychologist so you do have that experience. Like I can tell you my lived experience with bipolar. 
until the cows come home. But you can tell me your lived experience as a psychologist on the other side. Having said that, I have not done group therapy with patients with bipolar. So I'm only <laughs> coming at it from what I see is like what I think might be cats. good. You don't want to. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's kind of, he did well at managing all the different personalities in the room with, you know, in as much as he could. And that, um, yeah, that wouldn't be easy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. One thing I was curious about in your experience, one of the psychiatrist says um, since they've been so high and manic for so long and so intensely, the depression will be very, very intense as well. Is that the experience usually for you? Yeah, well, it's that old saying, what goes up must come down. You go up hard and you come down hard. I know I when I described previously what mania was like um, to a friend, they said, oh, that's just like being on coke. And I've mm. never done coke because I don't need to. Um, but I, I was like, oh, okay. And then um, they said, oh, but at least you don't have the come down. And I was like, what's the come down? And it is that depressive state of being and I was like oh yeah mm. I have that but times a hundred like lot, you lot more intensely <laughs> like you 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 wait until you're punching yourself in the head like yeah come yeah. back and talk to me then about depressive episodes oh uh, yeah it's it's maybe not the <laughs> most nuanced thing to say like oh you don't get the come down from coke no you get a whole different type of come down. Yeah, and no, I get the the much the much worse one. But thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did wonder though, because it seems like in the movie they get sent home during their depressive state, which I thought isn't that the most high risk to do that? Like, I'm assuming in Australia that's not what would happen. That's when you would be hospitalised. You'd hope not, but. It's a, who knows these days. But yeah, like they they're known to suicide attempts. Like mm. so, why mm. would they be let to go home just to their own devices? It doesn't make any sense to me. It seemed like they were like, oh, they're just going to be sleeping all day, so we'll give up the bed. They won't be yeah, engaging I in anything. Yeah, I would on someone who's just going to be sleeping. Like I would rather have someone in here who's going to do therapy. Great, but they will end their lives. Like yeah. <laughs> Do you want that on your record, psychiatrist? Um, but, yeah, maybe that's a bit more of a reflection of the American healthcare system I, as well. I think so, yeah. Yeah, that's where it gets a shoe in. Yeah. <laughs> the only bit where it's accurate about America. I mean, having said that, though, I, I've people I know who have um, been hospitalised have found it really hard to get really good treatment that works for them in Australia as well. But at least you don't have to be rich and have a huge debt on your head um, to access it. Yeah, not as much as America. Like obviously still psychiatry costs, psychology costs. Super expensive, yeah. It's expensive to be ill. Like it costs a lot. Mm. Um, I reckon I'd have a Range Rover if I didn't have bipolar. The amount of doctors I've seen, the therapy, the medication, the blood tests, and the time. Yeah, it's not just the cost in dollars, it's also the time spent attending all the appointments and checkups, etc. Yeah, exactly, and the time out of work to do that too. It Mm. is like a little part-time job being this ill with a complex illness, yeah. What did you think about in the film how each of the parents sort of went through their journey with Carla and Marco and how that was depicted? Um, it, 
it shows that there is that, you know, they, they want to support them, but it also shows that these parents have no fucking idea how. Yeah. Which is yeah. incredibly accurate. I, yeah, thought that. I, I know that I've had many conversations um, with my mum saying, like, I can't believe I would text you and tell you that I was killing myself. And mm. what, what, what were you able to do? And she's like, nothing. There was nothing I could do but mm. be there and help you. There's nothing else. Like, what do you do? I was doing everything right. Like these people, they're, they're, you know, they were seeing therapists. They were trying to take medication. You know, they, they're on paper doing everything right, but they're still mm. having these problems. So, yeah. And, and then it gets, it does get tiring for people around someone with bipolar because the person with bipolar doesn't stop. Mm. Like they don't it's, just pause and then just like chill and then go back to it. Like it's just constant. Constant, yeah. So these parents are exhausted. They're mm. not told how to manage this and you can just see it in in their reactions. Like they, they're mm. desperately wanting to help but they're like, I don't know what to do. I feel like they do as best a job they can too. I think they they really try hard you can say, see that they really love their kids and just want them to be well yeah um even though they're tired and you can see that they've gone through it a lot you can you can oh, tell the patience is amazing and I think they're really calm too like I've been that hysterical with my parents when um Katie Holmes is freaking out at, at her mum's house and my mum has not been that calm <laughs> I don't know if that's accurate. <laughs> no offense, Mama, love you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like you can really see that they are trying every little trick they have in the book with with the amount of energy that they have. Yeah, exactly. And you you've only got so much energy for so long, right? So mm. the the they would be exhausted. They're out of ideas. They've tried every trick in the book. Like, what else? What else can yeah. they do? So I, I really love how the, the parents are seen in this. Yeah, I agree. I thought they were really well acted. It would be confronting <laughs> as a parent too to, to go to your son, like your child's house and to see the state that they're living in. Oh, my God, yeah. The, the level of yeah. concern you would have, um, yeah, would just be astronomical. So he does really well in trying to keep Marco a little bit more calmer as he's trying to, like, you know, ruffle yeah. through everything. But, yeah, you can see the dad's like, like, come on, yep. let's, what do you need? What do you, what? Yeah, yeah just, just come over and hang out with me for a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, and the, the sort of backstory with his mum, which maybe she had bipolar as well, it, it's kind of alluded to and Marco sort of brings her up quite a bit and says, you know, she, you made her go or, or whatever it was. Like that would have been really hard for his dad to not take personally, but he seems to just like just ignore it, keep going. I think, yeah, and that would be something that has come with time um, mm, yeah. of, because I'm sure that's not the first time he would have mentioned it. Like if that was real life, it would be this reoccurring argument that yeah, you pushed sure. her away, you know. Um, but it is like bipolar is genetic anyway so it does make sense like yeah his mom yeah had bipolar or has bipolar 
So we might just talk about the section of our podcast called Stereotypes. So I didn't find too many stereotypes in this film that we usually see in movies about mental illness, but did you pick up on any that you thought were possibly problematic or not necessarily problematic but still a stereotype? Um, nothing that I've walked away and gone, oh, for fuck's sake, like, are you yeah, kidding? Yeah. Did you just get that out of a textbook? <laughs> you know, when you no, can really yeah, see that they've just Googled what it's like to have an illness. Um, there was nothing, like, cringeworthy like that for me in this. It was, yeah, there was nothing like it. I think the only thing that I thought could be seen that way was in their depressive episodes how everything's black and it's very bleak, but at the same time that's kind of what it can be like when when you're depressed. But it is very, like, the colour is now black. Um, yeah. Maybe slightly on the nose, but also I I liked it at the same time. Well, I mean, if you have, like, you know, major depression, it I guess on, like, a level, say you've got major depression, it's a seven or eight, you know, and it, and it just mm. cruises along and it's just always there, right? And yeah. sometimes it gets really bad for people and they, they you know, they, they go and they have their lows, like someone might call it. But then to have bipolar and major depression it's it's times 100 so things are all black yeah yeah um like for me personally like my eyesight drops when I'm feeling low um my sense of smell changes my taste buds change so Mm -hmm. it actually changes so much so much of your your sensory world as a whole yeah so the fact that it's actually gone black really to me anyway shows that they know the illness that's really good to know because i'm sure some people watching it might not realize that's how bleak it can be i did think there's sort of it plays with the stereotype a little bit of the sort of crazy artist or crazy artist (laughs) what do you think about that sort of because that's sort of talked about quite a bit of wanting to harness the mania to create and so many of these artists that have bipolar or are alluded to it because they were so far in the past um, and that being, like, I guess a positive thing about mental illness. What what were your thoughts? Um, look, I somehow got skipped with the creative genius um, <laughs> in me. For fuck's sake. Maybe you just haven't found your gift yet. Maybe it's there. I've looked. I, um, I, I joined a PR degree. Like I, I signed up to a uni course when I didn't even own a laptop, an online uni course when I didn't own a laptop. <laughs> so, like, you know, I've, I've tried to be creative. But, um, yeah, and, and the references is a lot to Van Gogh and other people who are an extremely creative and, you know, Carla's a poet and he's mm. a rapper mm. um, and they're really into that art. That is, that's, that's, sorry, that is one stereotype that I have found because I can't do shit with art. And that's what I struggle with this stereotype because, yes, it is true that some people with bipolar have these gifts, but what about all the people that don't have these gifts and then see this played out a lot in film and go, oh, well, I I guess I'm not as cool as those. I don't have that special extra bonus with my mental illness, so 
am I less of a person or am I not valuable enough to society, etc. Yeah, and 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 on that, like because it's so well known, you're put together by polar and creativity. Um, a lot of the times, you even look up, you know, bipolar and what it's like, and so much is referenced creativity. For a mm. while, I was thinking, oh well, I'm not bipolar because I don't, I, I don't have bipolar because I'm not creative. And it's just so, it's like it's a very good example of one of those really like tropey stigmas that society has created. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's such a stigma, like a stereotype of it. But yeah, until you actually dive a bit deeper you're like oh okay not everyone is creative mm. like, that is just a stereotype so if you don't have yeah. that it doesn't change anything about your illness or about you or you're not stupid or you know whatever you're thinking you just don't have yeah. it and that's that's okay yeah. <laughs> that's fine I don't know if it's a stereotype because it hasn't really been depicted much in film but the sense that people with the same mental illness can't be in a relationship together that's like I guess a a message that could be gained from it, which could be seen as not a very helpful or positive message. What What are your thoughts on, on that? If it's if you both have bipolar and it's well managed, like with your medication and therapy, if, um, then you know you'd be fine. But if it if it isn't, if you are both like this couple, where the mood swings are so erratic, like I don't know, yeah. I couldn't mm. because you would just be bouncing off each other like we said. So, yeah, in that sense, because of their, because of how unwell they are, yeah, it makes yeah. sense that they can't be. But generally, I mean, name one person who doesn't have anxiety. Yeah, exactly. I haven't met one yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And everyone says that they've got depression too. So, you know, everyone is married or dating someone with a mental illness and everyone has a mental illness. So, no, I don't think that's. Correct. It's just how well it's managed yeah. in your relationship and individually. For sure. And I think that extends to just relationships in general because we're all going to have ups and downs. It's how you manage those things and work through them together. Yeah. Like I, yeah, I don't have a best friend with bipolar because I think that would be a fucking wild time. <laughs> oh, one last thing I wanted to touch on in terms of stereotypes and something we come up a lot in this podcast is aggression or violence and mental illness um and it doesn't come up too much in this film but it does come up um like when they're in the institution and they get separated and they get there's a little bit of aggression there and then they get pretty aggressively um separated and strapped down into the isolation rooms America. yeah i i mean i'm assuming that probably does happen in australia at times and i know Michael and Megan's mum is a mental health nurse, so I know that she's had to take down patients before, but probably a bit more aggressive than they were. It, it often comes up in mental illness that there's aggression there when we know that people with mental illness are more likely to be victims of violence rather than perpetrators. Um, but I did do a little bit of research and there is higher risk of people with bipolar disorder showing greater episodes of aggression. But I think that what aggression is can can be very up very um broad term as well um and i never think it's a good idea in terms of smashing the stigma to show a person with mental illness getting aggressive in a film because it's just like oh here we go again (laughs) what what did you think did that come up for you at all um no like the aggression 
you can see is just their passion about wanting to be together and the the and I think that comes their aggression is actually their fear coming out the fear yeah, of not yeah. being together because they're their mm. safety nets um like lived experience with that I am the least aggressive person ever um but I do get agitated so mm, to mm. the point where if someone is breathing near me when I'm agitated I feel like my whole body is like really terribly sunburnt and someone is just scratching the sunburn like it oh, my whole body goes into pain from mm, them and mm. I just like feel this rage you know it doesn't come across as aggression but it does come across as really snappy yeah yeah but I yeah definitely not aggressive like this but then again I'm not an aggressive person generally so maybe someone else would I just cried everything which is less aggressive but also don't love it but yeah I'd rather that I think you know a cis white man with a bit of rum in his stomach is far more aggressive than anyone with mental illness but absolutely agree And, yeah, the research that I looked up did say that because of that increased agitation during that mania and irritability, then anger and rage can follow, which might lead to higher risk of aggression. So it does make, you know, logical sense that there would be some more increased episodes of anger but or, or aggression, but it's not necessarily the case with everybody with bipolar. Like you say, there might be that predisposition to getting aggressive and I think it's more so you want to harm yourself. You don't want to harm another person. It's That's an interesting point because the uh, research I was looking up for, I can't remember which other film it was, but they termed aggression as like one of the terms within aggression was self-harm in the study that they did. And like that's a different ball game than being physically aggressive to somebody oh, else. it's completely different. Yeah. Like the amount of times I've just punched myself in the head Never in a million years would I hurt someone else, but I couldn't stop hitting myself. And I would never even think to, like, put my hand on someone else and hurt them. But the aggression is just at myself, so it's you just hurt yourself. There's probably fucking Silver Play fucking list, whatever their stupid name is. Because he's super aggressive in that, that Silver... Yeah, yeah, he definitely is. I can't can't remember when he's ever aggressive to himself... He's um, not. He's just movie. aggressive no. to everyone else. Yeah, exactly. It's something that we just need to, even if it is, there is some evidence of it, like let's just stop showing that and show something that's a bit more realistic and concerning because. The percentage of actual people with the aggression is so small. Like it doesn't yeah. need to be, oh, it's fucking annoying, but yeah. It's always overblown. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I kind of want to go to what we thought could possibly be harmful in this movie Mm -hmm. Um, because I don't see much that's harmful about this movie. Did you find anything could be construed as harmful? Uh, No. Like everything is really spot on, even to the point where Marco doesn't want to take his medication. Again, spot on. Yeah. Like no one's going to watch this on medication then watch this film and then go, I want to start, I want to stop my medication because, you know, Uh-oh. or like get in their head like that way. No, no one's going to do that. Um, I definitely agree compared to Silver Linings where the message is like, just fall in love. You can throw your meds away. It's fine. <laughs> Fuck off. Yeah, it was kind of the opposite message in this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And even though they are together and the whole, you know, the movie's about their relationship, 
it's still about them working on themselves as individuals. Absolutely, yeah. I really like that about it. Yeah, so if it was only or even more so directed at them as a couple, then I'd be like, okay, that's a bit harmful. But it was actually they are still individuals in a relationship and how do they help each other and themselves to be together? Like, yeah. So I thought that was really beautiful how they've done that. Um, Yeah, and there is hope in it in that she's doing really well. Yeah, yeah. And he seems to be doing a bit like they were able to come together. I think that was really hopeful. They were able to come together and read that book together, even though they went through such an intense relationship, which didn't end particularly well. The fact they were able to do that and collaborate was like pretty powerful to me. Tears. (laughs) Beautiful. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. Like they were very different and you could see that difference all the way through. Like he really wanted to harness that mania and she really wanted to just sort of be stable and that the way they're both kind of grappling with that need and working through that by themselves as well. Yeah. And then also I'm trying to understand where the other person's point of view is coming from. Like, why yeah, would you exactly. try to hold on to the mania? Why aren't you trying to get better? Yeah, um, yeah. But the mania is addictive. Yeah, and I can see his point too. Like he doesn't want their kid to be, um, you know, just another kid and also, you know, wants to hide. You know, the fact that they went into the forest to like raise their baby together because society won't won't want them. Like, you know, that's fair call. <laughs> like the way society is, I can see his point in that. Um, but I can also see her point as well. Yeah, like, and, and telling the parents, oh, you know, you didn't want us together. We met in a mental hospital mm. and now he's made a baby. Like, yeah. when you say <laughs> that, like, like, wow, that's a combination. But, um, but yeah, I can see why they did try to run away and, and think that that was better because they would have been just ridiculed. For sure, yeah. I think maybe people could get the message that – parents with bipolar might not be fit to raise a child the fact that she did end up going through with the abortion like I'm sure there's kids out there with both parents with bipolar that might be like oh I'm here I I'm happy I'm here you know um or people with bipolar that want to start a family might see this movie and go oh shit that's not a very good message for us um but I can also made sense in the film at the same time yeah so i think the timing of the abortion was key because it Mm. was when he pushed her and showed that aggression and showed that you know i think it would have been like a bit of a trigger for her to go okay we're not in a stable place yeah so we're not this is a good time yeah exactly and so she's making a really rational decision exactly and you can see that she's in a rational place before she makes that decision as well stable and rational when she makes that and I think she's absolutely made the best decision for her and this unborn child. Um, but I know myself, like I've cried many times to Chris saying, if I give our child bipolar, I will never forgive myself. Um, yeah. Because I just, the guilt will, so if I have to go through what my parents went through with me, oh my God. But I also, but then Chris says, you know, but you'd be the best help. If they exactly yeah. have a mental illness, like you will pick it up straight away and you'll get it and you'll be able to support in the most individual way that they'll need yeah so I guess like yeah I think if their abortion scene was I guess when they were going really well that would have been Mm. but I think the critical timing of it was perfect yeah I definitely agree 
just one last point. How did you find without, you know, and be as comfortable with this as you like, the depiction of the suicide attempt? Did you think that was a responsible, okay depiction? It wasn't too glamorizy or too much? It is such a fine line of you have to glamorize it to some degree yeah. um, because it's such a triggering and confronting thing to happen. Yeah, you can't make it too real because that's not good. Yeah, and it's an indie film. It's not CSI in Miami. Like, mm. um, so yeah, they had to do something, but good on them for still showing it. Yeah, I think that was key. I think they needed to show how you know, how dark it can get to make this a good depiction, yeah. And then, yeah, and they needed to show the both sides. Like, they did show the mania to its extreme with, yeah. oh, you know, I'm not from here, I'm from the space. Like, that, that is real. That's that's 100% in his mind that is where he's from. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, the, the suicide attempts, like, it's it's all real. It's all really valid. I thought it, I thought it was done pretty tastefully without being too in your face because it didn't have, you know, pretty music or, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was just it just looked bleak. Um and luckily I feel like it was done quick enough that we didn't linger on it for too long. Yeah. And then you could see them, you know, a few minutes later they're sort of doing okay again. So it's like, okay, okay, everything's fine. Yeah, exactly. So you yeah, yeah. So they, they didn't dwell on that for too long, but I'm glad that they did put it in. Yeah, same. I might just finish off with just a few bits of information about how helpful this movie was for um, advocacy groups. Um, Apparently the National Alliance on Mental Illness screened it and Paul Daly said that lots of organisations got behind them and wanted to use the film um, to like show the depiction of bipolar and they did not get one negative response from a doctor or patient or family member. Everyone said this is exactly what it was like for me. Yeah, so it got a really good, um, it was critically praised from the community. Um, But unfortunately, there's less information about how well it was received about this movie than like Silver Linings Playbook because it didn't win an Oscar. So (laughs) yeah, it was obviously your love for the movie and my love for the movie is shared by the bipolar community, which is really good. I didn't know that. So that's just made my heart feel so warm and fuzzy that every single person who, doctor or patient or family member, like to hear Mm. that is just beautiful. It must have been so nice for Paul too to feel like, oh, yes, I did it. (laughs) I really spoke to the illness. Like he's just nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see himself in it, I think. Oh, and he's actually in it. Did you you realise? He's a patient in the institution. He comes and gets his medication. Oh, my God. So he did like a Stan Lee movement where like yeah. he's in his own movie. It's like a little cameo, which is really cute. <laughs> you got to make a movie. Fucking be in it. Yeah, for sure. But, yeah, I don't know what he's up to now. Hopefully he does some more stuff because if he does more things like this and now that he's put himself sort of on the map and, you know, a lot of people liked what he did, hopefully, you know, the next thing he does has more attention. Hopefully. I would love that because, he, yeah, he's obviously very good with mental illness movies. Um, But I would love for this to be as well known as Tully and Mm. uh, Silver, whatever. I've got to stop talking about so people will stop 
People start Googling it soon. <laughs> Can't plug it anymore. Is there any last things you want to say about it? Oh, I just want everyone to watch it. I want yeah. anyone who has a loved one with bipolar, anyone who has bipolar or thinks they have it or thinks their loved one has it, it's just such a touching movie. Um, and it does show you that everything you feel is valid. And with bipolar, I feel, for me anyway, that's the biggest thing is your emotions are valid um, mm-hmm. and you're seen and you feel heard in this movie. And that's huge. That's mm. for such a complex mental illness and such a, oh, one field with so much stigma to have a whole movie, an accurate movie about it is just fucking phenomenal. Totally. That's such a that's such a lovely message and I think it shows what the power of film can be if it's done right. It can movies bring so many things to the surface and to light and connect people. So seeing a movie that actually does it well is like ah, a breath of fresh air. And like I don't even have to do the final scores because I think it meets all the criteria for everything. And we've never had that before. Really? So, no, yeah, never. I can tell why you wouldn't have had that in the Joker. Um, <laughs> far, I know. But yeah, that's that's amazing. Honestly, yeah, I I it's perfection to me. Amazing. Well, Jossie, before we finish up, is there anything you want to uh, recommend or plug or? Um, tell our audience to do besides watch this movie (laughs) just in case you haven't thought of it you should absolutely watch this film um don't know how though (laughs) we'll find out we'll find out a way got the dvd it's still in the wrapper if you got jossie will send it to you (laughs) a dvd player i will fucking send it to you um (laughs) i will plug the organization that i work for because i strongly believe in all the work that we do um, so I work for uh, Listen Psychology. Um, so the website is www.welisten.com and it's L-Y-S-N. Um, we offer bulk billing psychology um, through Medicare and it's all via online. So it's via video chat or over the phone. So you can be at home in your comfort zone, in your safe place. Is that Australia-wide? Or yeah, it's Australia-wide. Oh, um, that's fantastic. They don't have the huge wait list. Like I, I've been able to get people in today I got someone in the same day to see someone or the day after like it's just incredible oh that's amazing um given how backed up everything is at the moment that's such good good to hear and because I have thousands of listeners hopefully after releasing this episode you don't get inundated (laughs) and have a huge wait list (laughs) (laughs) I want to help everyone Well, thank you so much for chatting with us, Jossie. This has been awesome. And I will definitely hit you up if if there's something else we should do. Awesome. Thank you so much, Seth. Thank you for asking me on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, no it's a true honour to come on to talk about this. And I know I could talk all day and night about mental health. So I'm really stoked. So thank you. Well, hopefully it will be our first conversation of more. So I'm fucking over it. We will. can talk more about mental health because I love talking about it as well. Clearly, I made a podcast about it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again for listening to Psycho Cinematic Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, add us on Instagram and join our Facebook page, TikTok, Twitter, 
own things. Thanks very much for listening.